happen because we learn to love through Jesus Christ. And I could drop the mic, as the young kids say, and be done. Because that, that's what it is. We learn to love through Jesus Christ. He showed us what love really is. Now, I could just say that, walk off, and be done. Some of you are going to be like scratching your heads. Other of you be like, yes, finally. He didn't talk for an hour and a half. But I am going to talk for a little while. So if you've got your Bible, open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Right? No, we're just going to go to one verse, and uh, I think I can talk for a long time on one verse. So one verse, chapter, se- or chapter 13, verse 7. Now, the entire chapter is called the love chapter, right? Paul wrote this chapter to the Corinthian church to really tell us what love really is. And it gives us all kinds of qualities, all kinds of attributes. But I think for us today, verse 7 is going to be plenty. So it says, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's love. So love, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I want to take this one verse, and I want to show you why love never fails. I want to show you why the, the attributes that we can pull from here we can see in Jesus And we can find the four aspects of love that we need to have in our own lives. That we need to have in our own lives to be able to truly love not just our children, our spouse, but one another. Right? I mean, as we look around, as you look around, there's people you may not know or people you do know that are sitting on the other side of the aisle and you're not sure that you love them. Right? And you say, well, I do love them, well, but you don't talk to them. Why? I do love them, but they're hurting. You're not over there helping. Why, I do love them, but we haven't told anyone about hell. But I, but I love them, but you let them continue in the lifestyle that they're in. But I, but I love them. See, Jesus showed us love, and in, in multiple different circumstances, Jesus never allowed someone to continue to stay in the mud and the mire. He always, always pointed it out, but he was very loving about it. Not diplomatic. Right? Not politically correct. Loving about it. Right? Remember the, the woman caught in adultery. Pitched down in front of him. Naked as a jaybird. Guy standing around wanting to kill her. Caught in the very act. One of the guys was probably in the act. Jesus doesn't blast her. He doesn't blister her. He scribbles on the ground. I think he was writing the name of the guy that she was with personally. He might have been writing several names. I don't know. But when they all start disappearing, and it's just him and her, now he could blister her then, right? Because ain't no one else around. He could really get her. And, And I can imagine through that, Kelly, that there was probably some sort of relationship built there to where she could see that he loved her because he had the right to condemn her. She knew he had that right. Yet love came forth. I mean, there it was. What about the prostitute? What about Peter? Aren't those the ones that we struggle with the most? The people in the church, the people with us, and they they fall out and they get stupid. Where's he at? Oh, there he is. He slumped down. I didn't see him. 
they, we fall out, we get stupid, and those are the people we want to kick in the nose. Because it's like they know better, but they still do it. Peter knew better. He answered the question. Jesus asked him, hey, Peter, who do they say that I am? Peter steps up to the plate, ninth inning, three runs down, bases loaded, Nolan Ryan on the mound, and here it comes, and Peter slaps it and knocks it out of the park. You're the son of God. Well, don't you want to go somewhere else? Where are we going to go? You're it. And then he bails. Things get rough. Peter left. Peter returned to do the same thing he was doing when he got found. Now, I can only imagine maybe Peter was fishing naked when he found him. I don't know. But he goes back and he's fishing. And here's the thing, Brother Ben. He didn't just go on his own, but he took people with him. And those are the people we struggle with because it's bad enough that they walk away, but then they drag other people with them. And how are we supposed to love them? Well, we're just not going to talk to them. We're just going to turn our back. They can go do their own thing. We're just not going to talk. Well, that's love, ain't it? Jesus sent word to Peter. Jesus went and found Peter because he loved Peter. See, there's four aspects in this verse that, guys, if we will get and we'll act just as Jesus acted, our relationships will be better. And I mean relationship is not just your husband or your wife or your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, not just friends. If you conversate with anyone on a daily basis, that's a relationship. If you meet someone, that's a relationship. You're forming a type of relationship there. And if we can look at these four aspects and we can involve these four aspects in our lives, our relationships will be better. And you know what? If our relationships are better, do you know what else gets better? Our witness for Jesus. Because it's sure rough trying to witness for Jesus when you're fighting with your spouse. It's sure rough trying to witness for Jesus when you're stuck in the ditch. So number one in your outline, godly silence. Godly silence. You say, well, where did you get that? Well, that's okay. Uh, let me go back and I'll give it to you. It's, in the very first part of the verse, it says it bears all things. It bears all things. It's godly silence. It's quiet. It doesn't have to be seen or heard when things are going bad. It's, it's able to back up. And say, okay, well, I, I love them. I don't have to humiliate them. I don't have to blister them. I, hey, if there's a fight that happens at home, where do you think that fight should stay? Home. Right? Public stuff should stay public and private stuff should stay private. It's what it is. Husbands, wives, when things happen in your house, keep it in your house. Quit calling your family. Because when you call your family, they, they take a side, and usually it's the other side, and then it blows up and implodes, and then what? There's no silence. There's no silence. You're not burying all things. You know, when we get into relationships, we say, hey, we love them, agape love. We, we love them through everything. But that's not true for most of us. We want to love them through certain things. We want to love them as long as everything's going okay. 
We want to love God as long as everything's going okay. Things start to go wrong, maybe we don't want to love him so much. Right? I mean, let's be real about it. When things are going wrong, sometimes we're not so sure God loves us or we love him. When things are going wrong in your marriage, you're not so sure you love your spouse. I'm not up here preaching to just you. Listen, when things go wrong and your kids are acting haywire, I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever had kids that act haywire, right? I mean, my kids woke up this morning wired, and they just added the hay. I mean, they're crazy today. And sometimes you're like, what in the world are you doing? And you want to wring their neck, right? You, you ask yourself, Jack, you ever ask, why did I have you? That's what your parents ask, too. Why did I have you? See, godly silence is one of those things that, that we're not really taught. It's one of those things that has to come from God, when to keep your mouth shut. Right? Most of us don't know how to keep our mouth shut. Most of us, it's shoe leather express right into the mouth. Anyone ever put their shoe in their mouth? I put mine all the way up to my knee. Right? I mean, I try to get to my knee and see if I can't get the other one in next to it. Some of you guys are there too, I know. So don't be like amen and me because you're right there with me. I don't, I'm not good at being silent. And hey, let me tell you something. Before I was saved, my mouth kicked in a whole lot faster than my brain kicked in. Let me tell you, if you did something stupid, I could let you know before I ever recovered and realized maybe I shouldn't have. There was no godly silence and it didn't matter who you were. And some of us are still at that point. We think we have that right. Like God has stamped that on your back, that you have the right to go around and tell everyone that they're stupid. But you skip the mirror so you don't see yourself. See, there's two things about godly silence that if we'll catch these two things, I think that we'll understand maybe where we're going wrong. First, we don't nitpick. See, there, there's some things that you just can't do anything about. Some people are stuck on stupid and they don't need to know it. They're just stuck. Just leave them alone. But it's when, you, when you're out in public. Have you ever been out in public with people and it seems like they just find something to say about somebody? And it's usually that loved one. They want to talk about them. Well, Brad, did you see how Brad dressed today? Garth, did you see that? It's crooked on his head. His head's crooked. I mean, his hair's cut one side and longer on the other. He needs to go see Jacob. I mean, we, they nitpick and nitpick and nitpick, and they do it until they can get a rise because when the other person rises and loses it, they're justified. Well, I'm okay. Look at how they behaved. So love doesn't nitpick. It also doesn't criticize in public. You ever been out with a couple? Have you ever been out with a couple that seems to, the husband or the wife, just wants to tell you how bad their spouse is? I mean, they're just on. I mean, there they go. I've sat in my office and had to listen to husbands and wives tell me how bad the other was. In public, while they're sitting there. Is that really love? Even the eight-year-old knows that. See, godly silence 
will help a lot of stuff. There's that old phrase that used to go around. I'll probably butcher it, but it was keep your mouth quiet and let them wonder. Open your mouth and remove all doubt. Right? Lots of times we, remove, we open our mouth, we've removed all the doubt. We just need to learn to keep quiet. We say we love people. There are times to talk and there are times not to. My foster mom was, like, great at this, and I never understood it. 16, 17-year-old boy, man, I could, I could rattle it off. And there were days that she just sat there and listened to me. And I would go until I was done. She wouldn't say, I was waiting for her to engage. She wouldn't say a word. I'd stomp my foot around and walk off. She never engaged me. I never understood it. Until I got saved, then I understood that sometimes my wife, it drives me crazy. Right, Ben? It drives, it drives me crazy. You too. It's like sometimes I just want to argue. I'm not, sometimes I just want to argue, and I've got a child just like that. We don't say who that is, okay? But sometimes I just want to argue, and Joy is the queen of not arguing. She just look at me. I'm like, no, just say something. She figured out that godly silence thing. She loves me. And she realizes I'm dumb enough on my own. She doesn't need to help. <laughs> so, guys, think about that. If you're going to bear all things, sometimes you've got to bear and keep your mouth closed. In order for you to bear all things, that means you shut your mouth. I mean, just shut up, be done with it, and, and let it ride. First Peter 4, verse 8 says this, Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Some things you don't need to say anything about. Women, sometimes you don't need to tell your husband just how dumb he is. He knows once he did it. Just let it ride. It reminds me of this Christian comedian. And... Uh, Jeannie Robertson, I think was her name, big, tall Christian comedian. She calls her husband left brain. Okay, my wife calls me left brain for whatever. I don't know why. But anyways, so this, she, she sent her husband to the grocery store to go get a list of stuff because she needed to make some cakes. She numbered the list. I need you to number a list for me. She numbered the list. He was gone forever. He came back, and as he got to the door with bags... Huffing and puffing. He slung them onto the counter, and she's like, what did you get? And he's like, just, just wait. And he turned around, and out the door he went. Come back in. She, she hurried over to the counter and started looking. And on the counter, there were ten bags of flour. She also found the list, and on the list, number ten was flour. So as he's packing all this stuff in, she put the list behind her back and just waited. And as she, he carried the last bags in, slammed them on the counter. She's got six two liters of 7-Up. She got five cans of lard shortening, five big cans, right? So she was making pound cakes, and she, she said she couldn't help herself. She pulled the list out, and she said, honey, you know, yes, I know. 
And by the time I figured it out, I was already at number nine, so we just kept going. (laughs) See, sometimes you don't need to tell us. We already know. Sometimes you just need to love us and let it go, (laughs) right? Sometimes you don't have to tell us. Sometimes you don't have to tell your children. Sometimes, believe it or not, kids are extremely smart. Kids are extremely smart, and they know when they've done some boneheaded things. You don't even have to say it. You just let it ride. And they'll figure it out. They'll, they'll believe it. They'll figure it out, okay? So number two, godly trust. Love has godly trust. In our verse, it says it bears all things and it believes all things. How many of you are this way? Nobody has your trust until they earn it. Well, come on, be honest, raise your hands. That people have to earn your trust in order to get it. Raise, be honest. Okay, how many of you are this way? People have your trust and they have to earn the right to lose it. Now, ready? Which one's right? Number two. Did you know you have God's trust and you have to earn the right to lose it? Now, I'm not blistering anybody because I was just the opposite. You had to earn your way into my trust. Okay, now I'm just the opposite, though, and it's like you have to earn the right to lose my trust because I just give it to you. And, and you say, well, what is that? How Love believes all things. There's not a qualifier what all things is. It believes it. God loves you, and he, he wants you to love him, but he... He just gives you his, his trust, his belief. And we say we love our kids, but when they do something, and I'm, I'm the world's worst with my children. I'm great with other people. Like you have to earn the right to lose my trust if you're other people. My kids, boy, you better earn the right to, for me to trust you. Right? Because I've been there. I was a kid. I'm not too far removed. I, I know how they act. My son's 14. Hey, Daddy, can I go to Riverwalk? No. Hey, Daddy, can I get my phone? No. Hey, Daddy, can I go here? There are going to be other people and are there girls? Yeah, no. Hey, Daddy, no. Hey, no. I mean, it's just like no. He looks at me and it's like no. We don't even go in. It's just no. When we start, no. And it's not that I don't love him. I do love him. I'm just not real good at the godly trust part. Because he's mine. But with other people, it seems to be, I give it to them. Now, in an increasingly cynical age, right, everyone's out to get us. Everyone's out to do something. They're, they're always trying to get one up on us. Like, what would we do, honestly? What would we do? Some of us would be doing backflips. But what would we do if someone came in and they put a $100,000 check in the offering? Now, let's, let's be honest. I mean, finance team would be like doing flips, wanting to make sure it was good. But what would we, we would want to know what they want. Right? What do they want? Instead of trusting the fact that maybe God put it on their heart to do it, our natural reaction, what do they want? Why are they doing this? I got a phone call this morning asking me and my family to go out to dinner. 
right? Now, we know how expensive it is to go out to dinner just our family. So, like, we, we try to come up with budget ways to go, right? We'll feed the kids here peanut butter and jelly, and they can get bread and water, right? I mean, we're trying to come up with budget. My wife's like, honey, you know that's expensive. Well, they told me it was on their dime. I want to make sure they got plenty of dimes, right? I know them, so I know their heart, so I know there's no motive behind it. But if someone out of the blue said, hey, can we take your family to dinner, and I don't have a working relationship with them, instantly in my mind, we all want to say, well, what do they want? What, what do they need? What's the problem? Like I get the phone call, hey, pastor, can I meet with you? Yeah, what, what did I say? Because we all want to be that way, but the Bible says that if we're really going to exude love like Jesus exuded it, we're just going to trust them for what it is and give them the right to screw it up. We're just going to say, here it is, and see what happens. Isn't that what we do when we, we enter into the relationship with Jesus and we have to come just as we are? Here it is, Jesus. I'm trusting you for everything. And that's good enough for us to go to him, but it's not good enough for other people to come to us. We want to know what the motive is. What are they doing behind the scenes? What are they doing to try to win, get one up on us? Spouses, we do the same thing. Valentine's is coming. Point of transparency. Been married 15 years. I bought my, flower, bought my wife flowers twice. That's it, just twice. Never on Valentine's Day. So if I bought her flowers on Valentine's Day, even though it's like, okay, I've learned the error of my ways, I'm going to try to do the right thing. What do I want? What did you do? What are you making up for? Spouses, do you do that with yours? What are they up to? Why are they kissing up? Huh? I mean, we love them. Why can't they just love us and buy us flowers? Daisies, if you want to buy me flowers, daisies. If you'll deliver them Thursday, I'll give them to her on Friday like I did it. Okay? Uh, <laughs> just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, some of you guys didn't even catch it. Uh, wasted that one. All right, number three. Thanks for loving me. Uh, godly optimism. Godly optimism. Our verse says, it bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. Godly optimism. See, love is one of those things that believes the best regardless. It doesn't give up. It hopes. And you know, there are times in life when you face situations that faith is not enough and it moves past faith and it just goes to hope. For instance, you've been diagnosed with cancer. You don't know how it ends up. You've got faith, but somehow you get into those days that faith is just not enough to carry you through. 
hope gets you through those days. That hope in Jesus, that hope in whatever, that's what gets you through those days. And yet in our lives, when we've got a wayward child, when we've got wayward friends, when we've got whatever, our godly optimism doesn't seem to be there because we think, well, there's no way ever going to change and we want to give up. I want to toss hope out. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be 100% transparent right now. I've been here five years, and for the last year, I've wrestled with the fact of whether or not I'm supposed to be here. It's gone back and forth. And sometimes the faith that God's going to do something wanes out for me. And then I just have to trust and hope that Jesus is going to fulfill his promise that he said he'd do. See, I'm, I'm constantly the optimist saying, well, these days, they're, they're not great, but hey, they're going to get better. Things are going to get better because Jesus said that the, the gates of hell won't prevail against this church. So they have to get better, so that's not faith. That becomes hope that what Jesus said is really real. Now, some of you are like, well, whatever. But listen. It's godly optimism that keeps me pushing. It's godly optimism that says, hey, Jesus said this, so I'm hoping it's going to happen. Week in and week out, it's Jesus is what keeps me coming. It's Jesus that keeps me stepping onto the platform. It's Jesus that causes me to answer your phone calls. Because I got caller ID. Just saying. But I answer the phone calls because it's Jesus that I know put me here. So if he put me here, there's a purpose. So why is it we give up hope so easily when other things have gone astray? Anyone ever had a rough marriage, in a rough marriage, going through a rough marriage? Anybody? Want to compare notes? See, I... I've been married 15 years. For the last 12, it's been great. Not all great, but really overall great. 12 years of marriage bliss. First three years, marriage hell. And not because Joy's a bad person, because Tony was. And yet, we got through that, so the things that we go into now, we always look back and say, if God brought us through all of that garbage, we can get through this. If God carried us through that, man, I can get through this. And yet we, as Christians, get into points of life with our loved ones, and we just want to give up. Want to wash our hands of them. We do that as a church. That, that's why church hopping is such a popular sport. Get mad here, we'll go to another one. He won't do what I want there, we'll go to another one. Because there, there, we don't stick to it and stay and say, hey, godly optimism tells us that we're going to hope for all things. We're going to have love. Hey, I might not be able to stand you, but you know what? God's commanded me to love you. And if I really love you, I'm going to have optimism that, hey, it's going to get better. And I'm going to stay there until it does. 
and not bail out and church hop. And listen, I'm not talking about any one particular person, so if you want to go call people, tell them all. The worst thing in the world is for you to come up and tell me you love me and then not show up next week. See, you can't tell me you love me and that there's godly optimism, that you're believing God's going to do great things and that there's hope and then you leave. You can't tell your spouse, hey, I love you, and roll over the next day and ask for a divorce. You can't tell your children, hey, I love you, and when they screw up, turn your backs on them. You want to know a picture of love? It's as close to this as I, I've seen, and he's not perfect by far, but as close to this as I've seen in the five years I've been here, his name's Andy Avalos. He loves his son. He doesn't think what he did was right, but he loves him. He's hoping God will do something in his life. And see, most of us are like, well, we wish that whatever. Really, but you say you love people. See, our love should be, hey, we hope that God would save the boy. We hope that God would do something in his life. See, godly optimism. Are we really like Jesus? Remember the picture of Jesus washing the disciples' feet? Remember, he, he's washing their feet. And let me just tell you, that's a big, humbling experience. If you've never done it, if you've never washed another person's feet, well, we ain't going to do it here, but if you've never done it, it is a humbling experience. So he washed their feet. There's Peter and James and John. Judas? Judas? I mean, after all, the guy that's going to betray Jesus. And you think Jesus knew? Well, he's God. He knew all things. And you know what? He bent down and he washed his feet anyways, hoping. Because even as Judas came and he kissed him on the cheek, Jesus called him friend. Hey, we can do this another way. We can do something else, but he washed Judas' feet. Hope. I always say, as long as you're breathing, there's still hope. Amen. Right? I was with Bob and Joan just the other day. And you guys be in prayer for, not Bob and Joan, they're doing well, but you be in prayer for Bob's brother Dick. He's in the hospital, and they're, they're not sure how long. Okay? But his nephew went and witnessed to him the other day about Jesus, and he's come, going back tomorrow. So you pray for, for Mike. He'll be going back tomorrow to witness to him. But you know what? Dick's still breathing, so that means there's hope, right? That final breath hasn't gone out of his body, so there's hope. It's godly optimism. Maybe there's someone in your life that you've not shared the gospel with because of whatever. But let me tell you this morning that if they're breathing, there's still hope. Maybe you've not talked to family members in years, because someone stole your mashed potatoes. And let's be honest about it. That's what it comes down to most of the time. Something stupid. That won't matter in eternity. But you know what? If there's breath in their body, you can show them that you love them by going back and saying, Hey, it's been 50 years. 
I love you. Let's get past this. Let's, let's get past this. And that brings me to my fourth and final point. Godly perseverance. Most of us don't want to persevere long. Things get rough, we want to get out. The, in our verse it says, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. When I got married, I didn't put this wedding ring on. This is like my 12th. But when I got married, I put a, there was a wedding ring that looked similar to this that my wife put on my hand, and I repeated the words after her dead to love her in sickness and in health, for richer and for poor, for good and for bad, till death do us part. Now, I think there were some times early in the marriage she was going to kill me and would have been done. But no matter what, I agreed to stick with it, to bear all things, to persevere. That's why when people come and they sit down and say, Pastor, I think I need to get a divorce. And I'm like, for what? Well, he won't pick his dirty socks up. What? Well, he, pastor, he, he talks to me like, duh, what? Well, pastor, he cheated on me. What? Well, pastor, listen, I'm going to say it again from the platform right here. If you've been divorced, I am sorry. I love you. God's forgiven you if you asked him. Okay? It's over and done. This has been washed by the blood. It's history. I do not believe there is a reason, one, that you could come to me and tell me that I should get divorced. Period. None. See, we should have godly perseverance and push through it. When we're prepared to throw the towel in, we're telling God that he's not big enough to fix it. Where's the love? Where's the godly perseverance? And we're the church. We're the people that say Jesus is real. We're the people that believe he died on the cross. We're the people that believe he rose from the dead, but he's not big enough to fix your marriage? Now, let me qualify real quick. If you're your husband or wife, because I think it's happened the other way too, if they abuse you, if they hit you, you shouldn't stay there. I'm not saying you should get divorced, but you shouldn't stay in that environment. Okay? But you shouldn't divorce them. I read a story about a man and a wife that were getting a divorce. They, they had been to the preacher and had marriage counseling, and the guy got up during marriage counseling, walked out, and went back to the, the girl he was cheating on his wife with. So they were both at the house at one point. She took her wedding ring off and put it in his hand and said, here, this is, I want you to take this and remember what you've done to me. And off they went. So about six months rocked on and the divorce hadn't finalized because child custody issues were there. And she asked him one day in court, she said, can I have my wedding ring back? Kind of looked at her. The judge, you know, recessed the court or whatever and they went home. The guy came by the house with her wedding ring and brought it to her, and he handed it to her, and she took it and put it back on her finger. 
and said, I need this on my finger because I need to remember what I told God that I would do. I promised that I would be here forever. So you're off doing your thing, I understand, but I'm right here, and I want you to know that you still have a wife. You say, well, that's a great story. There's a couple that I did a wedding for. They were divorced for 30 years. 30 years they were separated, never had another spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, nothing. 30 years later, I remember he got saved in the Spanish church across the street from us. She got saved the next week in our church. And the week after that, they got remarried. Why? They persevered. They, they said, hey, wait a minute. This is what I'm supposed to. They got divorced for something stupid. It really was stupid. We break up friendships over stupid stuff. We leave churches over stupid stuff. If God brought you here, then you should be here till he tells you to go. If you've got friends in your life, God put them in your life, they should be there until God tells you to get rid of them. If you got married and you said, I do, I would say, unless you die, it's I do. It, it's, we have to get back to where if we're going to... If we want to believe the Bible, we got to believe the whole Bible, not just part of it. It says it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Romans 5, Romans 5, and verse 5 says this. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. How can you hope? How can you endure? How can you do all that? Because it's not you. It's Jesus. See, I didn't hope or endure or persevere or anything when it was just me. It was when Jesus came into my life, he radically changed me. He gave me something that was not me. People say, well, you're just getting older. You're just getting softer. I promise you, it's Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit poured this into me. The love that comes out of me is because of Jesus. I'm able to love because of Jesus. Not anything that I figured out on my own. Because if you're trying to do it the book smart way, eventually your book smarts are going to fade. People are going to know if you're trying to play them. But when it's genuine, when it's coming from here, things change. Well, how did it get here? Because you didn't automatically just change your black heart to a white heart. You didn't just cleanse your heart on your own. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? See, you're able to love because Jesus first loved you. So maybe you're here today and you say, hey, I, I've listened to all this and I, I can't do any of that. Well, here's something great that we want you to know. We just want you to keep coming. Just keep coming. Keep hanging around. And, and watch us and, hey, we're going to mess it up. We're going to screw it up. But here's the greatest thing about our God. He'll forgive us and set us back up and let's keep going. 
But we just want you to come belong, come hang out with us. And eventually, you'll have the same experience that we did. Eventually, Jesus Christ will come into your life and radically change you. It's going to happen if you'll come hang out long enough. And then after that, maybe you'll learn to behave. Peter didn't. We're still working on Garth. But so we want you to come along, eventually believe, and maybe behave down the road. But we want you to know that you'll never love anybody the way you're supposed to love them until you first meet this man named Jesus. And you'll meet the guy who gave his life for you while you wanted nothing to do with him. You'll meet the guy that gave his life for the Roman soldiers who spit upon him, smacked him, stabbed him with a spear, whipped him, nailed him to a cross, and yet he still died for them and asked God to forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. And you know what? That same guy rose from the dead three days later with you on his mind. And you came here today for a reason. Don't walk out of here not finding out what your reason is. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. And God, we thank you again for everything that you do for us. God, we thank you that your, your son loved us even when we were unlovable. Father, we pray right now that if there's one in here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God, we pray, Father, that you would radically change their life. God, we pray that they would have an experience, a meeting with you, Father, that will forever set them on a different path. God, we pray right now for those, Father, who may be hurting, who, who may have other circumstances happening in their life. God, we pray that you would work and move in their life. Father, we pray that you would help restore marriages, restore friendships, restore families. God, that we can walk out of here and love the way your son loves us. Again, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. You're dismissed.